Well, hello, church. Good morning and welcome back. Uh, I'm glad you're here again this morning with us. Uh, whether you are fully dressed in your Sunday best sitting at your uh, dining room table or you're still in your pajamas, maybe even sitting in bed with a cup of coffee, hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, my prayer is that this will be a blessing to you uh, and you will receive and you will encounter the presence of God. I tell you what, if you're sitting with someone right now, why not turn to them and ask them if they know any clueless people? Uh, now, of course, play nice. Uh, don't do it in such a way that you're implying maybe they're clueless. Uh, and don't answer in a way that makes the questioner seem clueless. Let's, let's play nicely with one another. Uh, but the question is valid. Do you know any clueless people? Uh, you know, I ask the question because it just seems like there is no shortage of clueless, perhaps ignorant, maybe foolish people around us. I remember reading a line many years ago that said, never underestimate the power of stupidity in large groups. Man. As we go through pandemics and lockdowns and isolations, as different countries try and respond in different ways, there seems to be no shortage of clueless people around us. Maybe you've had to deal with some cluelessness firsthand and you're sort of sitting there or thinking to yourself, when will this end? I don't know. I do not know when this will all end, but I do know how we can live in the middle of all of this. And I do know how we can find hope in the middle of all of this. If you've joined us this morning and you missed last week, today and last week are a two-part series on how to find hope in the middle of all of this. Uh, if you're watching today and you missed last week, I won't be offended. Go ahead and hit pause now. Go and watch last week's message. And then when you're done with that, come and catch up on part two. Last week was all about how to kick anxiety in the butt. By way of recap, for those who were here last week, I kind of spoke about how often anxiety stems because we are like a house and our foundation is not secure. It's not a solid foundation. The foundation we've built on has become corroded, it's weak, uh, and it's shaky. It's kind of like sand. And so the house doesn't stand. It doesn't last. And for many of us, uh, our identity is our foundation. And so prior to this whole COVID-19 pandemic, prior to everything just being shut down, we maybe didn't notice that weak foundation. And so our foundation was wrapped up in maybe what we did. It was our job, our career, our accomplishments. For some of us, our identity was built up in our status, our wealth, our success, uh, how we're perceived by the world around us. For many others, our identity was wrapped up in our relationships. Now that all of those have been kind of removed or destroyed or, and shaken, our very foundation is rocked to the core. And so your foundation is your identity and your identity is your foundation. Either it's going to be flimsy 
or it's going to be firm and secure. Only, when I spoke about the foundation last week, the only firm and secure, immovable foundation is the foundation of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 7 that the wise builder who builds upon the rock is that builder who listens to the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. That's the firm foundation. In fact, the apostle Paul builds on that in Ephesians chapter 1. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says our foundation should be in Christ Jesus or in Jesus. And he uses that expression in Jesus multiple times throughout Ephesians chapter 1. If we want a firm and solid foundation, and if we want to kick anxiety in the butt, it begins with a foundation in Jesus Christ. But now, how do we find hope without being clueless? Why do I use that term without being clueless? I would say that clueless people, we might want to call them foolish people, ignorant people. Maybe there's a, you know, a sense of being stupid. Uh, we would say clueless people are those people who seem to deny reality around them. They're prone to ignore reality. And they live in this fantasy world of desires and hopes that will never materialize. Now, I'm reminded of that ever lovable cartoon, Kelvin and Hobbes. I'm sure you know Kelvin and Hobbes. Kelvin is this little mischievous boy who has this gusto and passion for life. And he's just go, go, go. And he has his wise stuffed tiger, Hobbes, there to counsel and guide him. And in one of Kelvin and, and Hobbes' interchanges, there's this beautiful scene uh, and this lovely choice of words where Kelvin is quite clearly in denial about what's going on and about what's to take place. And Hobbes is trying to confront him on that. And so Kelvin responds and says, I'm not in denial. I'm just selective about the reality I accept. <laughs> isn't, isn't that how some people seem to live around us? Uh, they go, no, I, I'm not in denial. I'm just selective about the reality that I accept. Uh, yes, we need hope, but not false hope. Clueless people are those who deny what is happening. Uh, yes, they do that to try and make it easier to cope, but we cannot build on false hope. When we delude ourselves, when we stop being able to separate fantasy from reality, that becomes a big problem. I was fascinated to read about research into prisoner of war survivors. Uh, there was this research done on a number of Vietnam survivors who had been taken captive in certain prisoner of war camps. And there were a couple of thousand soldiers taken prisoner. And a few hundred survived. They survived the torture, the beatings, the, uh, just the harsh treatment and all of that. And in the research, they discovered that, well, the two camps or the two groups, sorry, could largely be broken up into the optimists and the pessimists. Now, I know you think you know where I'm going with this. Those more likely to survive were the pessimists. Uh, and we kind of go, wait, what do you mean? Well, you see, the, the optimists who lived in this false hope, this denial of reality, couldn't cope with what was going on. 
Uh, we don't need false hope. Clueless people are those who do not have true and lasting hope. Uh, they deny reality. They exist even in the church world. You've had experience. You, you've asked somebody, you know, one of those saints, those super spiritual type of people, how's it going? Or how's, how are things doing in your life? And they might respond with the cliche, oh, God is good. Everything is fine. And you kind of go, wait a minute. Your life is falling apart. Things are out of control. Uh, you know, where is, what on earth? And it's these people who deny the reality. My friends, I want to let you know, as we look at hope without being clueless, God never instructs us to deny the reality we're in. God never calls on us to ignore what's taking place. When we read through the Psalms, there are countless Psalms of people who cry out to God, who ask questions, who lament. But the psalmist encourages us by reminding us that God records our tears. He stores them. He knows about them. He invites us to bring that hurt, that pain, that confusion, that doubt, those questions we have. So even when things don't make sense, he invites us to come to him. So when I talk today about being hopeful without being clueless, I don't mean that we're going to ignore reality. For many of us, we need to start by facing reality and bringing that to God and building from there. We need hope, but hope in the right place. As I talk about hope, I need to define the word hope. Hope is an interesting word. The dictionary defines hope as the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. It's to look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. It is to believe or to desire, to feel that something may happen. You and I use the word hope these days in a sense that might be a little different to the original meaning. We might say, well, I hope it stops raining. We're not sure if it will. We know it will eventually, but we don't know about now. We might watch a sports game and say, well, I hope my team wins. But again, we don't really know. We might say, well, I hope this coronavirus pandemic ends soon. I, I hope that a vaccine is found. But again, we don't truly know. I was pleasantly surprised when I was looking at the dictionary definition of the word hope. It included an archaic sense, uh, an old-fashioned, an archaic meaning of the word hope. is to say hope includes to place trust in or to rely on someone. Hope. When do we need hope? You know, Fyodor Dostoevsky said... To live without hope is to cease to live. You see, you and I need hope. We need hope to sustain us. We need hope that tomorrow will be better than today. We need hope that in the middle of trials and struggles, that this is not the end. We need hope that there will be a better and brighter future. We need a hope that doesn't ignore or deny what we're going through, but at the same time, a hope that knows this is not the end. And we will find our hope when the source and the foundation of that hope is secure and is sure. 
So let me ask you, where do you place your hope right now? You know, when I think about the source of hope, a place of trust, I think most people put their hope in one of two places. Neither are good places. But let's go there for a moment. Where do many people put their hope and trust? First up, I think many people are prone to put them, their hope in themselves. And this is my artistic rendering of self. Notice the little muscles over there. I had a colleague who would often say, if it's to be, it's up to me. Uh, he would go on to talk about how people will let you down. People will fail you. People will disappoint you. And when I was in the corporate world with this colleague, it surprised me how almost every day that's what he would say. If it's to be, it's up to me. Uh, some of us maybe haven't used those exact words, but we've said something similar to others when we've said something along the lines of, well, if you want it done right, do it yourself. You know, when I used to interact with that colleague and he would say what he would say about others and how he trusts in himself and, and how he would put his hope in himself, I used to think inwardly, what on earth happened that you're so jaded and cynical about people? What on earth took place in your life that you think your only source of hope is yourself? That your only foundation is yourself? What took place? It just seems crazy if you think you're your only source of hope. But yet that's how many people live. They place their hope and they place their trust in themselves. If it's to be, it's up to me. And of course, this is no more than the common pop psychology that simply says, just follow your heart. Listen to your heart. Your heart knows how to make you happy and, and your heart wants to make you happy. Just follow its desires. You know, those who believe this will say that your heart knows the way to go. My friends, what a load of garbage. Sure, the heart is important. Even the Bible makes that clear. And the writer in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. Because it is the wellspring of life. Other translations talk about it is the source of what we do. So God, your heart, yes, for sure. <laughs> but the writer Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, sorry, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, Jesus, when talking to his disciples about what makes us clean versus unclean, points out it's not what goes in you that makes you unclean. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, verse 21 and onwards, Jesus says, It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And he goes on to list sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, lawlessness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly, kind of all these things. And he sums it up and says, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. Uh, your heart is not a source of trust or the place we should put our hope. Relying on self and following our heart might make us feel comfortable and happy, but it's a dead end street. Because our hearts 
are incredibly gifted at deceiving even us. That's what the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Christians in Ephesus, warns. When he talks about the Gentiles who do not know Christ and who do not follow Christ. And he says in Ephesians 4 verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In other words, those who follow their own hearts follow a foolish way and are headed down a dead end street. Those who trust in themselves and place their hope in themselves will soon find this to be a very shaky foundation. But maybe you already know that. Maybe you have tried to trust in yourself and put your hope in yourself and and you've realized that you are prone to letting yourself down. So what is the other source of hope that many people might try and place their trust and hope in? Well, I believe if it's not self, well, then it's other people. Other people or institutions and organizations. Some people know by experience they cannot trust themselves. And so they move on and they find hope and salvation in others. They look around to other people, whether it be wealthy family members to bail them out with handouts or an inheritance. Maybe it's they look to a successful spouse, uh, to someone who is prominent and wealthy. Maybe they look for generous philanthropists. Or, Or maybe instead of looking at individuals, they look to organizations, whether it's charities and societies, all the way through to government or civic societies and organizations that would help. Now, of course, don't get me wrong. Those are good and necessary places. We all need others when we go through life. Every one of us at some point needs a family member to help, to step in and to, yes, give and to donate and to support us in some way. Every one of us at some point will need some sort of charitable organization to assist us and to help us. Every one of us at some point in our life needs civic leaders and government institutions to be involved in what's going on. We need family and friends and we need others in trials and difficulty. You know, when I think about government, for example, the scripture teaches us in Romans 13 that government and civic leaders are given to us by God. It's a structure that he put into place. We need government officers to coordinate the public affairs of society. They're given by God's design. The problem comes in when we think they will solve every and any problem. And so we place our hope and trust in them in in entirety. Yes, we need to pray for them. That's what Paul tells us when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Pray for leaders, pray for government authorities, pray for rulers and those in power because they need support and they need prayer. Yes, they're good, they're necessary, but they cannot provide for every eventuality. No matter how good they might seem, they're still fallen, fallible human beings, prone to let us down, prone to their own sin and deceit. And when we place our hope and trust in those external other people scenarios, those other people organizations, soon we discover that that too is a dead end street. 
It will not truly save us. It will not truly support us. They won't carry us through the darkest of life's experiences. So, if we cannot truly place our trust and our hope in ourselves or in others and community and civic organizations, where? Where do we place our hope and trust? The psalmist says it as follows in Psalm 118 verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. How do I find hope? Where do I place my hope and trust? I place my hope and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible has quite a lot to say about hope. Biblical hope has its foundation in faith in God. The word hope in English, as I said earlier, often conveys doubt. I hope this might happen, but I I don't know. In fact, often we follow the word hope with so. I hope so, but I don't know. know, Many people, when you ask them, do you hope to see God one day? Do Do you hope? And they will say, well, I hope so. If I live good, if I do the right stuff, I hope so, but I'm not sure. However, that's not the meaning of the word hope from the Bible. Uh, The the words translated hope in the Bible uh, imply confidence or security. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word batah and its cognates has that meaning of confidence, security, and being without care. Therefore, the concept of doubt is not part of the biblical word hope. We find that meaning in Job, in the Psalms, and in Ecclesiastes. In most instances of the New Testament word, that word that we translate into hope, again, there is no doubt associated and attached to the word. Therefore, biblical hope is a confident expectation or assurance based on a sure foundation for which we wait with full joy and full confidence. In other words, there is no doubt about it. You know, one of the verses we find that word hope is Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. And in Hebrews 11 verse 1, we read, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Uh, That verse is at the beginning of the great chapter of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is this hall of fame of people who've stepped out in faith. And each one of those people stepped out in the confidence of being sure in the word and the promises of God. There, There was no doubt. In fact, all their deeds, all their actions, the things that they did were only possible because they had confidence in God. Their hope was assured in Jesus Christ. Their faith was in Jesus. And therefore, biblical hope is a reality and not a feeling. Biblical hope carries no doubt. Biblical hope is a sure foundation upon which we build our lives, believing that God always keeps his promises. Hope or confident assurance can be ours. When we trust the words of Jesus Christ. What more powerful words than Jesus in John chapter 6. When he says whoever believes in me has everlasting life. 
We can have hope for all eternity in Christ Jesus. And accepting that gift of eternal life means our hope is no longer filled with doubt, but rather it has its sure foundation in the whole word of God and the entirety of God's character and the finished work of God through Jesus Christ on the cross. So how do I conclude this two-part series? How do we kick anxiety in the butt and how do we find hope without being clueless? Well, it starts by building my foundation on that rock of Jesus Christ, by listening to his words and putting them into practice. And then by trusting God in all circumstances, trusting that God is a good father and trusting that God will work out all things for ultimate good. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In fact, Romans chapter 8 is such a powerful passage and the end of that whole passage just speaks volumes around this idea of hope and trust and foundation. And Paul finishes it off in verse 37 of chapter 8. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when will this all end? I don't know. But I know it will. And my hope is in Jesus Christ, the firm and secure foundation, the one who will sustain us and carry us through all things. And this morning, I want to invite you again. Will you place your hope in yourself or in others and discover that there is no foundation there? Or will you put your hope in God through Jesus Christ and discover life? I'm not saying for a moment we deny the reality. But in the middle of the reality we find ourselves, our hope is in a good God, a good and loving Father, who is doing something that will blow our minds when we one day see and understand. And until then, we will trust in Him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, my God, Father, Son, and Spirit. How you blow us away in your word to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your self-revelation of yourself. That you came down. That you condescended to our level to communicate to us and to introduce us to yourself. And even beyond that, that you invite us into relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, this morning, we cry out to you. We are in the midst of a challenging and trying time of life. There seems to be no end. There seems to be no answer. And many of us are struggling, God. Oh God, I pray that right now we would encounter you 
And we would discover that when our hope is in you, it is an unshakable and firm foundation. Help us to put our trust in you. Help us to face whatever comes our way, knowing it is not the end. And knowing that one day we will see and we will give you glory. We will rejoice in your goodness. Oh, Father, bless us with your presence as we build our lives in you and on you. And as we do that, may we be free from anxiety that cripples. And may we find hope that leads to life. For we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you.